So I got this guy. You probably have a guy, too, that you don't like much. I got to be a little bit, uh, you know, careful with the details here. But um, there's just this kind of resistance in my spirit towards him. And um, I get kind of shut down and resentful would probably be um, maybe the best word. But about 10 days ago, I am, um, I'm on a business trip. I'm in, in Atlanta, and uh, I'm meeting with clients later that afternoon, but I have some time in the morning. So, um, so I, I grab the scriptures, and I'm in, I'm in the Old Testament, you know, the first part of the Bible, reading Isaiah, reading about God kind of speaking into um, them as a people. But then God, by his spirit, he starts speaking to me. And Bob, this guy, will fictitiously call him Bob, he comes to mind, and something begins to just shift in my spirit, and I begin to write. Here's, um, I normally use much smaller uh, journals, but a friend of mine gave this to me, so I, I, I begin to write in the, in the like kind of columns just about Bob, and I begin to say, I'm going to commit to praying for him daily, and Lord, overwhelm him with your love. And I'm thinking about another place in the scripture where it says, lavish your love upon him. And something just completely shifts in my spirit. Two days later, Bob calls. There's been a death in his family. And he's wondering if I can officiate the memorial. Now, I wish I weren't so dense because initially in my spirit, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I don't, you know, like I'm too busy and it's Bob and the other thing. And then, it, I mean, I wish it was just immediate, but it took me some time before it was kind of like God's like, hey, what about two days ago? What about that little sweet mama with your cup of coffee out in the patio in Atlanta? What about the little writing in the, in the edges of your journal about Bob, about being lavished upon by me? Well, guess how that's going to happen? <laughs> like, oh, but that was cool because like immediately I'm like, oh, like God, you were going before me to precipitate this call so I could be in a different place. And all of a sudden my spirit just completely shifted and I'm like, Bob, the answer is yes. Let's work out the details. Oh, it's out of town? Oh, no problem. I mean, like, it's like, and, and, and true, true um, full disclosure, it actually didn't work for me to do the funeral. Um, but I was able to even tell him in that moment, I go, Bob, this will sound a little crazy, a little weird. Um, but that, actually, maybe it was just even the day before now that I'm thinking about it. But I go, the, the day before at 7 a.m., um, I began to pray for you. And here's what I began to pray. And he says, well, that's, um, that's really interesting because that's when I found out that my loved one was dying and I was in the car crying. And I said, well, and I didn't tell him like how much I didn't like him and all that stuff. Like that wasn't the moment. <laughs> but, but I just said, well, if anything, let that just be just a, a word of encouragement to you that you have a God who loves you deeply. And I've since, this was 10 days ago, and, and I've since just thought, what, ha what would happen if I hadn't had this time and God hadn't spoken to me through, through some prophet from ages ago named Isaiah, and I hadn't written this down, and I hadn't had this encounter with God? 
And if I had missed that time with him, and then Bob calls. And how many other times in my life am I just going about in my Dan way, in my self-absorbed kind of way, where God hasn't been able to get his fingerprints on me for moments such as that? What am I missing? It was so sweet. It was so tender. It was so powerful to be with God in that moment. And then it was so exciting to be stepping into something that he was preparing for me. And it all happened because I was in that moment getting my fingerprints on his word. And as a result, he was getting his fingerprints upon me. There's this passage in Hebrews chapter, chapter 4 that's, that, that says what happened. Like it says this, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, anytime God speaks, whether it's written down in the ages, whether it's in the moment by the spirit of God, but, but the word of God is alive and active. And I go, yes, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It, get this, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, just like it did for me in that courtyard in Atlanta, just like it can for, for you and me. If we would just be willing to make time, if we would just make time for him, if we just be available and make space. The, more, the most recent, recent research is that if, if people like you and me, all you know, messed up, beautiful, we've got good things going on, we've got hard things going on, um, none of us Bible scholars, myself included, uh, if we would actually just make time to read the Bible and let the Bible read us four times a week, that's the tipping point in bone and marrow in having this trajectory change in us just four times a week. Didn't even say how long, but if we would just make time and how do we do that? So today in this series called Fingerprints, I simply just want to offer a way that we can simply make time uh, for God through his scriptures. And um, this will sound very pastoral, but I've created time in an acronym to walk you through how to make time. So what does the T stand for? The T stands for trust. How do we know if we can trust that what the Scripture says, the Word of God, it's active and alive? How do we know that to be true? The Word of God actually penetrates down to bone and marrow, down to, into the ligature of our souls. Like, how do we know that? The Scriptures also says, if you want to look with me, at 2 T- Timothy chapter 3, this very bold and um, powerful statement. Let's look at this together. All scripture is God-breathed, really? And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Righteousness means right relationship. Right relationship, being in harmony with God and with others so that the servant of God, you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do we know that that is true? All scripture is God-breathed. And the, uh, the answer is we don't. We don't know that it's true. Uh, you could look at it and go, well, that's circular reasoning. That's just something attesting to itself beyond actual fact and data and, and, and reliability. Like, how do we know, know it's true? Well, at the end of the day, just to let you know, 
it's a faith enterprise. And there are people, and you and I, and we see it on all the social media feeds and in the university classrooms and everywhere, there are a lot of skeptics and antagonists towards viewing the Bible as something that we can trust that is reliable. Dr. Bart Ehrman, who uh, is at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um, he summarizes, he's a part of a, a scholastic movement called the Jesus Seminar. He's written a lot of books. He's considered a scholar on the New Testament. And here's what he says as he calls the Bible's trustworthiness into question. What do you suppose happened to the stories about Jesus over the years? As they were told and retold, not as disinterested news stories reported by eyewitnesses, in other words, not by an objective lens, but as propaganda meant to convert people to faith, told by people who had themselves heard them fifth or sixth or 19th hand. Did you or your kids ever play the telephone game at a birthday party? How many of you have been, in one way or another, either wondered that, because it's a very fair wondering, or had that kind of suspicious view proposed to you, and you're like, oh, I don't even know how to say that. That's actually a good point. How, how do we know this? Well, in short, like this is like, you know, there's all sorts of time and depth we could go into, but just a few things I would offer you. Uh, number one, uh, our brains function differently today than they did at the time of the capture of these stories. When I go to the airport, I take a picture of where in the parking lot I parked my car. Why? Because my brain function is very atrophied. In the days and times in which this was written, people had the entire Old Testament and all of the commentaries called the Mishnahs all memorized down to the jot and the tittle. That's still true today. Some in the Jewish tradition, some in the Islamic tradition have the entire Quran memorized. It is possible to have an airtight um, memory of capture. Oftentimes we go, and, well, this was passed on orally initially. The stories were passed on orally, and that sounds like a telephone game. You go, no, but you have to understand the system by which they did it. There's a phrase, it's the Hafiz al-Taqwalid, and it's by which, how, what's the system of transfer of knowledge and information? And basically it looked like this, that they would sit around the campfire tonight and they would rehearse their stories. And they'd have a younger one uh, begin to recite, say, a passage of, of scripture or one of the stories. And when they got one word or one part of a word grammatically incorrect, they would stop them and say, no, no, begin again. No, no. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's great. The more this just kind of gets exaggerated, the better. That's how I like stories. That's how the Diebel family stories are told, but not in this day and era. They were very exact by which they passed on the story of God one to another. Another scholar would say, no, this is not like the telephone game transfer. This is like karate, where you have a master, and he wants to train you down to every twitch and fiber of your body of how to get every posture right. And if you've ever done karate, you go, oh, that 
that means something to me. Now, others would still go, okay, but we don't have any of the original what's called autographs. That means the the original manuscripts. So like when the Apostle Paul is writing or when Mark's writing his gospel about Jesus, we don't have the original autograph, which is totally true. Frankly, I'm glad we don't. You know why? Because if we had it, there'd be wars fought over it and it would be an idol to worship, not the God of the Bible. We'd worship this parchment. However, it's important for us to remember that of any work of antiquity, we don't have any, any of the original autographs, right? So then the question becomes, if there was legendary folkloric creep happening, if what really happened with Jesus, because it's, it's essentially, I'll say, mostly irrefutable that Jesus was a historical person who lived in the time. There is not only biblical, but there is non-biblical evidence that points to this man named Jesus from Nazareth. But now, of the historical Jesus, what has gotten into the scriptures here, if we don't have the original manuscripts, then how do we know there hasn't been this legendary creep of the telephone game? Fair question. You tracking with me on the question? Yeah, tracking? Okay, so let's look at what's called the documentation gap of other works of antiquity just to compare the reliability uh, between other works of antiquity and the scriptures. So this comes from Dr. Norman Geisler. Let's look here at an example and it'll make sense as we go along. There, there's authors and there's writings. Lucretius, Pliny, Plato, Demosthenes, etc. All the way down there, Caesar, uh, Homer, etc. Now, when do they write? You see where they wrote. But what's the earliest copy? Well, we don't know for Lucretius, but you'll see, like, take Pliny, there's a seven, if you go over to the fourth column, there's a 750-year gap between when it was written and the first copy that we have. Tracking so far? And the number of copies that we do have is seven. And accuracy, we're just, we just don't even know. So just let your, your, your eye kind of scroll down there. Let's look at Caesar. Caesar wrote 100 to 44 BC. The earliest copy is a thousand years later, and we only have 10 copies. Look at Sophocles, um, 1,400-year gap, 193 copies. That's a lot. Look at Homer. There's a 500-year gap, 643 copies, 95%. Now we're even able to assess accuracy, whereas we're not able to before. So now let's look at the New Testament just by way of comparison. We've shrunk this a little bit, but look at the bottom. The New Testament, written in the first century, about 50 to 100 A.D., there is less than a 100-year gap. There are over 5,000 copies, and the accuracy among them, 99.5%. Now, does that ultimately, did we just go stamp it? See, it's the word of God. God breathed. Not necessarily. I mean, what about the 0.5%, right? You can ask those questions. But here's, here's what I know. Uh, No one sits around in a university classroom and says, well, if Caesar really existed, 
and if we can really rely on what he said. But you'll hear that a lot in, as it relates to the New Testament. So what we can at least say conservatively is that while maybe it's not un unassailable the claim that the Scriptures are God-breathed and what we would say without error and all that they intend to speak on matters of faith and practice, you might not be able to make the claim it's unassailable, but it is least unsurpassable from a documentation, um, from looking at the comps, as it were. The Old Testament, by the way, if you're wondering about that, uh, well, gosh, there was a real problem until the year um, 19, I believe it was 74. I might be mixing that up, 1947-74. Roy, do you know? It's 47, right? Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, some, some Bedouin kids throwing rocks in a cave, they heard a little smash and the, the rocks had crashed some clay jars in which they found over 1,100 documents. Now at the time, back in 1947, there was a massive gap between the earliest copy that we had and when it was, when it was written. And when they went in there and the archaeologists came in, they found over 1,100 documents 202 fragments of the Old Testament. Every book of the Old Testament was represented except for the book of Esther. You could essentially piece together the entire Old Testament with a 95% accuracy, and it jumped that documentation gap by a, a thousand years. Dr. Will, William F. Albright would say it was the most important archaeological find in the 20th century. And this is what we continue to find, by the way. Um, archaeologists and their discoveries and their digs are always a good thing because they continue to dig up uh, more and more of the corroborating um, evidence that gives me a sense of the reliability and the trust of the Scriptures. Again, is it a faith enterprise at the end of the day? Absolutely. And so you'll have to, from an academic point of view, grapple and, and, and dig even further, I encourage you to do so, but also from an experiential place of going, what happens in me when I open it up? Because I'll just tell you, when I'm reading even the most obscure thing in the Old Testament that I, even I don't understand, I'm like, well, that was weird. I don't know where to file that one. Something still happens in me. Compared to any other book, any other scroll or swipe, there is a distinct difference down to bone and marrow, joint and ligament in my soul. There's a grounding, there is a centering there. And that's where I want to shift to. So from a trust, we have to have some level of trust to be able to take that kind of step, right? But what's the I? The I is intentionality intentionality. What is the opposite of being intentional? Anybody want to take a guess? Yes, accidental. Yeah, Lindsay. So what does the accidental life look like? Well, it means that you and I, we're all people that have influence in others. We all have areas of our lives we have to tend to. So 
The accidental life looks like this. If I'm being accidental, there are areas of influence and intention that I, that I must give. And there's my family or household. And in a work setting, there's my team. And then there's the larger organization, and then there's the community, which would include Shoal Creek, right? There's also one more. It's me. I have influence over myself. I have agency by which that I can kind of order my days. So these are the areas that I have to tend to and that you have to tend to on any given day. And the question becomes, how do I apply my best energies, my most important priorities, how do I marry those two? How do I give thought and intention to each one of these areas? And if I'm not being intentional, I'm being accidental, it looks kind of like this. I wake up in the morning and I say, well, how do I, how do I go about tending to all these things? And you know what the answer is? Well, it's whoever's shouting at me the loudest and coming at me hot. It's the firing squad. And you're on your heels. You, you right? And how do I know that this is how most of us live? Because what's the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning? You grab your phone. And you open up your phone and you say, what does the world have for me? What's blowing up in the world? What are the uh, text messages? What are the Snapchats? What are the emails? And before, for most of us, before our feet hit the floor, we are in a reactive state. We're responding to everyone else's agenda. And it's no wonder that we arrive to the breakfast table or we arrive at work mad because we're just like this. There was research that, that, that um, surveyed people and said, what's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? And uh, number two in the ranking was work and money. Number three was important relationships. Number four was household chores, but predominantly by a long shot, it was more women that thought about household chores than men. But you know what was number one? The number one thought on people's brain when asked, what do you wake up in the morning thinking about? your phone. That is an accidental approach to our days. How do we take the same level, uh, the same amount of areas? We're, none of us are off the hook for bringing our very best into the days, but how do we order them such that in a healthy way? Well, let's just reorder them. Starts with a healthy you. And then our most important relationships. And then my team. And then the organization at large. And then the community by which I belong. And it's from an inside out flow where I go, what does it look like for me to be grounded and healthy? As the scriptures say, as the psalmist says in Psalm 90, how do I number my days? that I might offer you up a wise heart, O oh God. How do I order and number my days so that we're gonna overflow something here? Is it gonna be toxicity and reactivity or are we gonna overflow blessing and goodness and peace out to those in our life? And if we are, what's it gonna require? 
something beyond me to go down to bone, marrow, ligament, joint, attitudes, and thoughts of the heart. That is an intentional picture. I wanted to show you. I'll clean this copy up a little bit. Here's the tool we use from a group called Giant Worldwide. This is what intentional looks like. You have to make time. Intentional time to do it. That's the I. What's the M? The M is you need a method. You need kind of an approach. And uh, fortunately, my job got really easy because here at Shoal, man, the team has put together such a beautiful um, equipping of that. So out in the lobby, there is a how do I read the Bible? And you can also get this online. If you go to the Shoal app, you'll go to Engaging the Bible. This will always, always be there until they change the app, but this will at least always be there. And you can go to the online Bible. If you click on how do I read the Bible, it's all right here. And then from each of the Sunday services, there's five scriptures that you can read. So if you went to August 20th, there's five scriptures that I put as a teacher in there and that the team put on the app. Having some sort of method, and if you kind of drill more deeply on the app or you do it here, it's like, it's just so well laid out. I'm so impressed. It's like, well, step one, get a Bible. I think we can all do that. Check. Um, Get a reading plan, and they give some great suggestions. What's a reading plan? It's just, okay, what am I reading today? It's just a little, for lack of a word, I don't like it, but it's just a little assignment. Just read this little chunk, right? By the way, more is not more in all this. In fact, sometimes less is more. The whole goal, more is not more like, oh, I've got to read a whole chapter, or I need to spend an hour, it doesn't count. No, no. No. You're just making time. And if all you have is five minutes, take five minutes. God is the one who's in time, out of time, a thousand days, one day, it's all the same to him. He can take you five minutes, and those five minutes could become six minutes, and then seven, and then eight. And sometimes you'll have an hour, and sometimes you'll have two minutes, and that's okay. More is not more. But in this, I mean, there's a reading plan, and then the great, like, set a time and place. You heard Richard say, I have a little place where I spill my coffee on my Bible. Where's your little place where you spill your coffee or your Bible? If you drink tea, then you can't read the Bible. But anyways... <laughs> How to find a verse. I mean, it just goes, it's just super, like, here's a reading plan. Here's a place where you can just start. Just like read, you know, one, one a day or one a week, right? Just get your fingerprints on it. And at the end of the day, here's what you're going to do. At the end of, of it all, right? Whatever your plan, whatever your place. If you're an out, outdoor person, be outdoors. If you're more monastic, be indoor, light a candle. Do all that, right? But you're going to have just basically two questions at the end of the day. What are you saying to me, Lord? And what am I going to do about it? That's it. Like, so when that happened for me, um, you know, in, in Atlanta, like, God's speaking to the Israelites. That's the context. He's speaking in a really, like, you know, time of peril in the Israelites. And I'm respecting that. I'm honoring that. But ultimately, the Spirit of God is going to come upon me and say, this is not just a lesson This is not just something to learn. This is something to absorb down to bone, marrow, joint, ligament. What 
do I hear you saying, Lord? By the way, I like, what do I hear you saying, Lord? Do you hear how that's conversational? I, could, I originally actually had it, what do I hear the Lord saying? That's a mind exercise. Do you see when we shift it, what do I hear you saying, Lord? What's that? That's conversational. Make sense? So even that kind of academic approach of what am I learning? No, this is a relational opportunity. You're just simply making time. And what am I going to do about it? What's, what's that simple next step? And how does that work? The last in, t- in the time so far, we're at Tim. So what's the E? It's just simply equipping. And I, I've been spending a lot of time on that. But at the end of the day, who is the great equipper? It's the Holy Spirit that comes and brings life to these words, comes and kind of marries um, what's happening in the spiritual realm with what's happening deep in me. I love how John chapter 14 says this, that Jesus is, I will ask the Father, because now he's getting into this beautiful Trinity thing, right? that I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. You have an advocate in your life, somebody who is championing your best for you. And who is that? This this advocate is going to help you and be with you forever. It's the Holy Spirit. But but the spirit of what? Look Look at it with me. It's the spirit of what? Truth. To get down to the truest places about the world, about who God is, down to bone and marrow, a joint ligament, about me. It's the Holy Spirit that does that work. So here's what I'd like to do. I would like for us to practice um, doing some personal reading of the scripture. Um, and it's super okay if you've never done this before. Um, you can take a pass on this, it's, that'd be fine, but I want to challenge you. Just like, let's just take a step in. I just pulled one um, passage. It happens to be one of my favorite ones. It's here, Romans 8. Um, Let's pull it up. It's three verses, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. We're just going to invite the the Spirit of God to come and bring meaning to these words that can sometimes be confusing, to amplify them to customize them for us in a way that is true. And, um, and then we're just going to read. And all I want to have you do is just, just kind of be curious about this. What intrigues you as you read through it? What stops you? Is there one word that stops you? What makes you mad? What's causing some sort of emotion? Okay. We're not going to have any smart people in the room. We're all just going to be the dumbest people in the room, the most curious people in the room about this passage. And I'm going to have you just sit with it for a couple of minutes. And and then afterwards, warning, I'm going to ask for us to just kind of shout out a few observations that you might have. Okay? So with that, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give us about three minutes of silence, and we'll jump in. So, Lord... We simply invite your spirit to advocate for us in this moment. 
we are deciding to make time for you. And so Holy Spirit, come as we open up your written word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna read it once and then be quiet for, oh, actually, Justin, I don't, I'm so sorry I didn't tell you this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that up. I can't, I can't do this without my whiteboard, man. Sorry. Um, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. So now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Take a moment. What strikes you? Stumps you. Okay. And I heard someone over here say that he calls us his children. It's beautiful. All right. The word that just got me right out of the gate was led. Like, huh, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? I'm just sitting with that. What's another one? Fearful slaves. So you're just going to sit with, can you say one more thing about that? What, did, what struck you about that? You don't want to be that. Yeah, that's good. What else? Sharing is suffering. Say one more thing about that. I'm sorry? In what ways does he suffer? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm so into myself. I always think about ways that I don't want to suffer. But yeah, what was his suffering? It's great. What else? Adopted. Yeah, what grabs you about that? Yeah. Yeah. Heirs. What does heirs mean? Right? Something to live up to, something to live for. Anybody want to shout from the balcony? We can hear you. Right. Right. So the relationship between glory and suffering. Right. Okay. Okay. Balcony, I'm going to be a bulldog just for a second. Anybody want to shout something? I know. Huh? Heirs? Heirs. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, which is a big value of ours around here, right? This is not something that you, that you earn. Great. Okay. 
So now we have um, kind of done a bit of a head exercise. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, that, uh, uh, right? But then there's kind of that movement to, a, to the heart, which we, don't, we won't take the time for, but it's wherever you're kind of stopped. Like for me, it was I didn't get past the word led in the first line. And I might just move it to, okay, what, what are the ways that I'm being led by someone else other than you? See, see how that now we're getting personal? We're not trying to figure out the passage. We're trying to make time to allow the Spirit of God to come and transform us. And then I just will listen. And maybe I'm going to go throughout my week and just say, okay, show me the ways that I am being led by someone other than you. And then I'm going to write it in my journal. I'm going to come back to it, right? So that might just be, if we go to, that, to, the, to the questions, what do I hear you saying, Lord? I hear you inviting me to be led more deeply by you. And what am I going to do about it? I'm going to pay attention to the ways that I'm being led by others other than you. Okay, so what I want you to do, a band is going to come back out and, um, and sing a song over us. I want you to be thinking about these two questions. And I'm going to ask a couple of, couple of few bold ones at the end of the song, just going, just like I said, for my lead, what am I going to do about it? I want to hear um, from a couple of few of you what you're going to do about it, okay? Because that will encourage everyone else. Well, let's take a moment. The band will sing a song over us. We'll spend some time in reflection, and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to keep speaking to a place where we can actually walk it out. I'd love to hear, just um, as we've sat with the passage, as we've invited the Spirit of God to speak, what's a, what's a I will statement, something you're going to do from the passage? Try. I'm sorry? Try. You're going to Try. Try, try how, try what? Going to try reading the Bible? Yes. Going to try more. That's so awesome. All right, let's give it up for, what's your name? Betty. Betty. Let's give it up for Betty. That is awesome. Okay. Beautiful. Now the coach in me wants to just push you just a little bit. What does try more mean? Do you have, can you be a little more specific with that? Oh, somebody has ideas for you. <laughs> you don't have to answer right now, but um, let's move a general takeaway to a specific one, right? So it could be four times a week, could be, I don't want to be prescriptive, but think about the specificity there, right? Okay. It's more awesome. Yeah, that's great, Betty. Thank you. Another one or two? Yeah. Come on, I'll share God's word at a disc golf tournament. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. You're not playing today, are you outside? No, it's next week. Okay, good. Because then I'd say share God's word and Gatorade, like do those two things together. That's awesome. What was it about the passage that propelled you to, to that? Interesting. And I just felt like we're, it's all of us, you know, whether, and I feel that that's wherever I'm presently at. Yeah. I see it as 
Yeah. That's so great. Yeah, that's so cool. What's your name? Zach. Zach, yeah. Uh, did anyone else land on the word we from that passage? I didn't. I don't think anyone else did. Isn't it cool that in a room full of many, many people, um, there are so many different ways that we personally can intersect with God's timeless scripture? Isn't that incredible? And I've read this. I told you this is my favorite passage. I've read this passage uh, tons of times. That word led um, grabbed me in a whole new way here today. It is timeless. It does go down to bone and marrow. It does lead you to saying, I'm going to try. I'm going to make more time like Betty or like Zach. Zach, right? Yeah. Like I have a specific thing I'm going to go do. And that's when we know we're being changed from the inside out more in the likeness and in the love of our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace today. Amen. Awesome to be with you.